Sir Henry's lost one of his boots at the hotel and he's upset about that. And that might be completely irrelevant, or it might not, but it's worth just mentioning. Um, if it was, if yeah. this was Poirot, he would say, well, everything is irrelevant. Um, <laughs> Holmes basically broke a £2 note, which was about enough to pay for a family's food for a year. And then went, here's 20 shillings. Give heart, sixpence to this person and sixpence to this person and sixpence to this. And I imagine that you'll find nothing as a result of giving this money to somebody. Which is the same as saying to a certain kind of kid, here's some free money. Lie to me in two hours about whether or not you gave it all to other people. Hello, hello. We're doing a Sherlock Holmes book called The Hound of the Baskervilles. We're taking it back to the old school. We're doing the original story, which uh, you may not have read. Uh, and even if you have, it's, it is a stone-cold classic and a great story mm. for cold nights. So uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, so we're going to do this in three parts. Uh, so uh, we're doing the first sort of third of the book today. So we're going as far as... Uh, as far as I'm including... Uh, well, basically, chapters one to five we're going to do today. So right. as far as... Th- Three boat broken threads is the final chapter we're doing for today. Um, yeah, this is a. It's a little bit sort of. It's very. We're doing this very soon after another classic mystery. We did the Agatha Christie, didn't we? So I think it's going to be quite interesting to compare the the two styles as well. Yeah, um, very much. So. And don't worry if you if you've downloaded this expecting your latest Game of Thrones fix. We will return to a Dance with Dragons after. Christmas, so in the new year, in January. Right then, so if you come into this for the first time, just very briefly, what we do, as you can kind of tell from what we've just said, we uh, take a book, break it down into a lot of parts, and then over a series of weeks we read through it and give you a bit of a sort of page-by-page guide to it. So, The Hound of the Baskervilles. It's The Hound of, Hound of the Baskervilles, yeah? It is, yeah, 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 start, yeah. 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 The- yeah, the, uh, I've, the TV, I've read the, the, TV I've read the title correctly. That's good. <laughs> first step. First step. Um, the yeah, the TV series did one called "The Hounds of Baskerville," which you know because because right. they like to change it up, but not too much, not yeah. too much. Um, okay. But no, that, that is the hound. It's hound singular of the Baskervilles, plural. There are many Baskervilles, one mm. hound, but the hound, mm. quite frankly, has shit them all right up. <laughs> it's a nice introduction. So. Um, <laughs> The first chapter called Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Um, actually, before we actually get into the first chapter, so do, do you know much about sort of where this sits in the, t- in the sort of the in the whole series of, of Arthur Conan Doyle? Is this an early one? Is it a late one? Is it, I think uh, it's, it's a middle one. I think. I think it right. sort of it sits in the place in the sort of canon where you know they've had the first few. They if you. It make it analogous to a TV series. They've had the first half of the first series, which is where you know everything's finding its legs. And I would mm. say this is where this is where the series has properly hit its stride, sort of midway through season two of sort yeah. of an American TV show. I would say so. And this is one of the one of the ones that's widely considered to be you know amongst the best. Yeah, um, where he really hits you know he hits the tone perfectly and the mystery perfectly and the characters perfectly and it's great. Yeah, very much a guy that have one of his best, so it's a good one to, to introduce yourself to the Sherlock Holmes stories with. So, speaking of introductions, we we have chapter one, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. We meet the, uh, obviously, main character, and, um, well, the two main characters. It's told from the point of view as, of uh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes' assistant, uh, Watson. And uh, they both... Can we call him an know, assistant? That feels a little bit belittling, you know. Maybe... maybe, maybe. A, 
well, I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I feel like he's sort of like it's it's like he's his his mate. He's got nothing better to do, so he's just sort of like <laughs> I've got this mental friend. I'll spend my entire time watching what he does. It's, it's <laughs> like TV. Only TV hasn't been invented yet. Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could say friend. I could say professional partner. Professional um, partner. <laughs> yeah. You put that in there, professional partner. It only looks like a like a bromance. It only looks like, <laughs> yeah. It's very much professional. It's very much partner with professional in brackets just before it, <laughs> <laughs> or after it. Partner, uh, pr- pr- professional, professional partner. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we start off the sort of kicking back in the uh, in the pad in Baker Street, which is the famous home of of what of Sherlock Holmes, and. They're examining this stick, which has been left by a visitor, and it's a chance for what for uh, Watson and Holmes to do some sort of early, just for fun, detective work. Um, so they try and work out who this stick may have belonged to, and Watson gets some of some of the way, um, but Holmes very quickly takes over and works out a little bit more, and they decide it's a young man who has been working <coughs> at a hospital and has moved from the city to the country. They get quite a lot out of just a single stick, don't they? They do, and I, I sort of like... I feel like this is maybe in the phase of their relationship before this becomes, like, enormously tiresome to Watson. <laughs> like, I could just imagine... Because Holmes, and obviously this is the point of the Sherlock Holmes character, is that he's tremendously condescending, toweringly, kind of overbearingly uh, condescending. So he, you know, Watson's... He, at this point, I feel like he's still in the place. Watson's so impressed with Holmes that he's willing to put up with him going like, well, Watson, my dear fellow, of course you'll get it completely wrong. And uh, all of the manners in which you make it wrong only help me to become more right. Aha! Now, what do you make of this? Eh? 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 Mm? Eh? <laughs> and Watson, rather than, I feel like later in their relationship, like if they were still friends in their like 60s, he'd be like, shut the fuck up, all right? <laughs> You know how many years I've been writing you down, making you famous, eh? All right. Less of this mouth, eh? <laughs> but at this point, he's still like, well, I, obviously, I, I rise to the challenge. I love uh, to, to, uh, to interact with an interlocutor of your caliber. is an enormous honor. And therefore, I think it was a young doctor from an old place wearing a green hat who's often had problems with his father. <laughs> um, rather than uh, the more... Um, Impatient approach, which I think I would take if it was me. <laughs> well, this is this um, discussion's ended with the arrival of the owner of the stick, Doctor James Mortimer, who arrives at the door. Turns out most of what they've guessed is right, but he didn't. They thought he got the stick as a sort of um, goodbye present from the hospital, which is kind of right. It was more a, a congratulations of marriage present from the hospital, but it did mean he left. So what a bunch of fucking useless wankers. Honestly, they can't tell from a single scuff on a single <laughs> shoe outside the house they're currently inhabiting whether a stick was given as a gift for leaving or for getting married. Yeah. What a honestly. Yeah, exactly. Terrible. Bunch of now, twats. Honestly, I could do better than that in my sleep. <laughs> Mortimer is here to ask for help. Um, he's actually here to ask for a couple of things. He's pretty forward. Uh, the first thing he asks for is a, ca- <laughs> a cast of Sherlock Holmes' skull. To um, sort of, <laughs> this is part of conversation. That <laughs> yeah, it's just, that, that's his opening gambit as well. Like, yeah. like, like get, that goes solidly in the category, doesn't it? Of things which would be completely terrifying if they were said in a pub, where it's kind of in the middle of the morning in in a well lit environment. It, it's kind of slightly. Oh, you're interested in um, uh, 
what's it called? Um, phrenology, the study of <laughs> the bumps on the head as as they as they relate to um, personality type. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but like you imagine in kind of like that's his opening line in a pub. Hello, <laughs> would you mind awfully if I were to take a cast of your skull <laughs> at all? <laughs> So, yeah, so we start off with a discussion of skull sizes, uh, which we'll, we'll return to later. And then he, uh, to try to sort of butter up uh, Holmes, he says a very poorly advised thing. He describes him as the second highest expert in Europe, <laughs> and Holmes is not pleased. <laughs> I love that. I love the sight of anybody kind of trying to stay within the boundaries of Victorian decorum, but basically having a little kind of superstar hissy fit. You know, because this is exactly the same as Miley Cyrus backstage not getting the type of Evian she wants, isn't it? But but it's just with a slightly higher IQ, possibly. Um, so so it's just, well well I'm flattered indeed, but of course I am all ears to hear who you think the first smartest person in the whole of the world is. If it's not me, get him out of my sight. <laughs> He keeps digging a bit more to me. He tries to sort of say, oh, you're, you're the best at this kind of thing. And I was just thinking of the other guy who's good at this kind of thing. He's like, oh, forget it. Tell me, yeah. tell me what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> it would be if Sherlock Holmes was a different kind of character that you could just imagine him getting the deduction wrong yeah. just for the shits and giggles at this point. Just like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, no, no, let me know. Let me know um, what, what the problem is, and I'll help. I will help, yeah. Oh, ghostly dogs, you say. Well, I'll tell you what that is. It's a ghostly dog. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. And then, <laughs> and then five years later, there was like, it turns out he's got it wrong. I got it wrong, did I? Maybe you should have got the first most best person. <laughs> it is. It's... Um, it's Father Ted, isn't it? I'd say you're only the second best priest in the country. <laughs> Father Peter uh, Perfect and his perfect princess. <laughs> uh, we move on to chapter two then, the curse of the Baskervilles. This is where the the problem, uh, Dr. Mortimer's problem is laid out. He brandishes this manuscript from 1742, um, mm. which uh, can give us a bit more information. It's basically... Um, a bit of a history about Baskerville Manor because uh, the most recent owner of said manor, Sir Charles Baskerville, has recently died. Um, but we first get a little history lesson, so it's from sort of the uh, 18th century when this guy called Hugo Baskerville owned Baskerville Manor. Uh, it was during the Great Rebellion. So, was it? When was that? I was think it, it? they might mean the Civil War by that. The English yeah. Civil War, so sort of the 1600s. Yeah, because I was thinking, when I think Great Rebellion, I thought Peasants Revolt, but that's a little early. That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, yeah. To your credit, you didn't think Star Wars there, I have to say. Well done. <laughs> During the Great Galactic Rebellion in Devon. Yeah, yeah. actually, I should have really thought of uh, Robert's Rebellion, considering we've just been doing Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 that, that speaks well for you, Matt. That means you're still tethered to reality and... Things that actually happened in history. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it if he started. Yeah, Hugo, he owned Baskerville Manor during the Great Rebellion. So roughly when sort of Game of Thrones 1 came out, it was like 1980-something. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, anyway. So yeah, this guy Hugo owned Baskerville Manor. He, so he, he likes this farmer's daughter down the way. He, so 
obviously he just turns up and kidnaps her um yeah, sticks her yeah. in a <laughs> you know when somebody says oh you know we've lost the arts of chivalry can i t- can i tell you this i think i think we've moved on we've moved on. <laughs> if this is what qualifies as reasonable dating behavior <laughs> bloody hell yeah so he he captures her traps her in a room at the manor um and then has a bit of a party downstairs she uh, unfortunately for uh for him and fortunately for her he traps her in a room with an open window and a big vine climbing the wall next to it <laughs> so and a sign le- pointing out the window saying this way escape <laughs> yeah so she leaps out climbs down the vine and runs away when he finds out he's furious he does his very best mr burns release the hounds impression <laughs> so he <laughs> sends the dogs after her <laughs> Um, jumps on a horse and, and rides out after her as well. Uh, his sort of squires and assistants follow along behind. Um, and this is when it all turns a bit sort of creepy, where Hugo's horse comes comes racing back past them as they're trying to catch up. And then mm. the hounds are found whimpering together because something, something scary is happening. Something is shitting right up. Yeah, and they find this farmer's daughter dead in a field near two great stones, apparently. Um, and Hugo Baskerville is also dead, and there's this massive black hound-like beast tearing at his throat. It's a direwolf! Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so the three survivors run away, and apparently one died of fright the following sort of day, and the other two were broken men for the rest of their lives. And this mm. this hound has plagued Baskerville Hall ever since. <gasps> and there's, all, there's, this de- there's this warning, don't go out on the moors at night. Once again, the uh, comparison I'm minded to draw is with Father Ted. There's something terrible on the moors! <laughs> well, there's something terrible where the moors would be if we had moors! Yeah, it reminds me of... Um, we've been watching Space recently. It reminds me of that. Oh, St- classic. <laughs> Still roams wild on Hampstead Heath. Hampstead <laughs> <laughs> <Close> the meat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Spaced. What a yeah. masterpiece. Spaced is a, a really great British uh, sitcom. Really short, but... Um, Short but sweet, and if you haven't Absolutely. watched it, you should give it a try. Really good. It's from, um, from the guys who made Shaun of the Dead and uh, Hot Fuzz and The World's End, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So the tale is done, and sort of Dr. Mortimer is like, What do you think of that then? And Holmes basically put, says it's rubbish. He says, Oh, yeah, very interesting to a collector of fairy tales. I think it's still, <laughs> still smarting a bit from the second highest expert in Europe comment. That's true. He's, he sulks like a child, doesn't he? It's magnificent. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure it would be very interesting if I was a complete moron. <laughs> Let it hit you on the arse on the way out. <laughs> so we move to uh, manuscript number number two, which is the account of Sir Charles' de- death um, in the local newspaper. Um, and in the, the paper says that he came to uh, Baskerville Hall two years ago um, after making his fortune in Africa. Mm. He was very, very generous, very well liked. Uh, yeah. And he died of natural causes. Apparently. Well, well, uh, were they natural? Or, or Matt? 
with a supernatural. <laughs> this, the, the, well, this is the they go into the circumstances a bit more. They say the uh, there's this household, the Barrymores, uh, butler and a housekeeper. <laughs> I love that you just <laughs> leave a gap, that? leave a gap there for me to go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I was not on the ball. The and, family um, of light entertainment specialists, it all started going wrong here, didn't it, Matt? A hundred <laughs> years before the fact. <laughs> now, he, um, he, so he went for his usual nighttime stroll, stopped by the gate to the moors, continued down this little alley like at the hall, and his body was found at the end. And apparently he, was, he may have been walking on his toes down the alley, like creeping around. <laughs> So what, I think like he, Scooby fucking do? What's yeah. it uh, like? Zoig Scoob, walk <laughs> carefully. <laughs> <laughs> so they think he might have had a heart attack, and now they're trying to find his heir, which I think is his nephew. Yeah, from, yeah. He's had a heart attack from the sheer, the sheer physical hard work of trying <laughs> to walk on his toes for no discernible purpose. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah, it's like, I'm just going to wait. I'm feeling devil may care. I'm going to walk down this, you know, suspiciously impenetrable, you know, and sinister apparent <laughs> garden feature on my tiptoes. Even though I'm a man in his 60s in the Victorian era. <laughs> I, like, I like the idea of his butlers just sort of wandering around the garden and he sees her and thinks oh I gotta, I gotta pull a prank and he starts creeping <laughs> up on his toes and he gets so excited that he has a heart attack <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get him I'll really get him a banter top bants here we go here we oh no <laughs> I love it if that's the if that's what's happened yeah I immediately um, regret this. <laughs> so, um, I quite like this bit. They say, those are the public facts. Now let's get to the private facts. The, oh, the, the secret codex. Yeah. yeah. So, so the extra stuff is that uh, Sir Charles believed this story about the Hound of the Baskervilles. And he has been talking about it immediately before his death. Apparently three weeks ago, he says he saw a black animal. He glimpsed a black animal. It was basically when Mortimer came round to his house and he saw mm. this this massive animal behind him somewhere mm. and he went looking for it on the moors but with no luck. And on the night of his death, apparently there were footprints near him. Footprints that looked like the footprints of a giant hound. <gasps> I'll be fucked! Mm. No, actually, that's, it's entirely expected, isn't it? That's That's exactly how you need the story to go at this point. Yeah, I'd, I'd love it if they just got there and and the whole thing had hinged on the, these clearly being the footprints of an enormous hound, and actually you turn up and it's just about the size of an ordinary Labrador. <laughs> like I thought you said it was big. Yeah, what, I've got a Yorkshire Terrier. It's fucking massive compared to that. Yeah, but it's a dog. It's, what's the matter with you? Well, a you, hound, eh? This was a hound. I thought it was. A... I'm sorry. I'm so lonely. <laughs> So we move on to chapter three, The Problem. Uh, Holmes is interested now, and you can tell because he starts firing questions at Dr. Mortimer to sort of start putting together what the story behind the story is. 
Um, it turns out Sir Charles stopped by this padlocked four-foot gate, and he didn't get as far as the summer house at the end of the sort of alley stroke garden. Mm. Um, and it, turn, it it seems that the Doctor Mortimer believes also believes this story of this this hound, um, which obviously Holmes is much more suspicious of at the moment. He he very much thinks the the mystery can be solved by just stuff that happens in reality here rather than supernatural things. Yes, yeah. Um, it looks like Henry Baskerville, who's the heir, will be arriving in one hour. He's the only surviving heir to Baskerville Hall. And Did you notice something weird in this little passage here when, uh, when Mortimer's sort of saying... Because he says about three times, he's like, he goes, he's arriving in an hour and ten minutes. And then a little bit later he says, he's arriving in about an hour. And then a little bit later, he says he's arriving in about 45 minutes. But there's only about, like, three or four paragraphs in between each of those statements. So yeah. it just gives me this wonderful image of everybody just standing around in 22B Baker Street, just sort of, just, you know, looking at the ceiling, waiting for him to say the next thing. <laughs> so, like, he'll be here in an hour and ten minutes. He's <laughs> <laughs> just like... Dr. Mortimer, do you have anything else to... Wait! Wait. (laughs) I need to make the prose make sense. Hang on there. (laughs) It doesn't make for great podcasting, though, does it? The recreation of that. (laughs) You know what? You know what? It's not not crap. It's avant-garde, right? And I'll not hear anything different. (laughs) So, um... Mortimer says, you know, maybe he should warn Henry off coming to the manor because it's, yeah. because it's dangerous. For, but apparently the, this hound is uh, particularly fond of Baskerville, Baskerville meat. Baskerville meat. <laughs> <laughs> you, on the other hand, don't like the taste of it at all. Though I can't, I can't even say it. So, um, yeah, so uh, Holmes says, look, Give me twenty four hours to decide what to do. Let's not make any do anything hasty, because there there is a genuine. Even if uh, this is Holmes' point, say you know, even if we don't believe that it's this big dog that's killed him, then um, there's obviously suspicious circumstances around this. So it could be dangerous for the heir to this place to turn up if uh, someone's killing people who own this place. <laughs> So they've got to think about it. There've been yeah. no sightings of this hound since since Sir Charles's death, and um, Holmes just kind of needs to piece all this together, doesn't he? So he he wants basically this is this apparently seems to be the thing he does. If he needs to work through a case, he wants seclusion, solitude, and basically a bucket load of tobacco. <laughs> Old school. <laughs> Old school. Oh well, and and I, I suspect this may have been sanitised a bit because, but back in the day, wasn't he? Isn't he big into opium? Um, <laughs> so he's basically like his thing is he gets smacked off his tits and and understands things as a result. And I just, I just, I love it if they put that into the into the TV series as well. They just get to the get to the crucial point where you know the setup's been explained and the mystery has been put to him, and you just see Holmes just sort of like just sort of drifts off. 
And then, <laughs> then cut to Watson. Watson's like, well, thank you very much, Dr. Mortimer. And we, uh, we obviously need to get into this. Just look, glance. Let, Holmes, Holmes, for fuck's sake. Holmes is just over there, mainlining, just tapping away at Spain <laughs> and putting it in. Which, which, can you not even wait until he's out of the building? We're supposed to be running a classy detective agency here, and you're over there, fucking track lines up your forearm. Wanker. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so Watson leaves Holmes to his drug abuse. We don't know if it's the legal or illegal kind. We assume it's tobacco. <laughs> um, he, he returns uh, at nine in the evening to a very smoky room. Mm. Um, and Holmes is like, right, I've been working it out. He says, Let, let's go to the unnatural things as a last resort here. Let's start with the logic. And... <laughs> He said, the, "One of the things that Holmes has realised is that that this uh, Sir Charles wasn't walking on tiptoe; he was running, <gasps> which makes more sense, to be honest. It, it does, uh, rather than the Scooby Doo tiptoes approach. Yeah, sad as and I it, am to have lost that as a mental image, I think this makes a lot more sense. Yeah, so it so it begs the question: What was he running from, and why did he wait for so long at that moor gate? Yeah." And then, well, well, quite. Thoughts? Yeah. And then Holmes says, you know, that's all for today. Go get the violin. See if we can have a little violin off. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of him playing out every scene. You could have so much fun with this as a sort of vaudeville farce, couldn't you? Just at the end of it. Well, then, I'm Sherlock Holmes, the second greatest mind in Britain. And now we dance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just Mortimer back slowly away from the room <laughs> yeah yeah. so basically uh, Holmes says as I say that's all we can work out today I'm knocking off for the day get me my violin I'm going to have a bit of a sing song it reminded me a bit of the uh, David Brent office go get the guitar oh, <laughs> oh dear you just imagine him playing a fiddle version of Free Love on the Free Love Freeway can't you <laughs> she's not dead <laughs> right, chapter four, Sir Henry Baskerville. Um, so Sir Henry Baskerville arrives in London, comes round to to see Sherlock Holmes along with Doctor Mortimer. Mm. Uh, Sir Henry's received a letter, like a, it's one of those old-fashioned ransom letters with little sort of words cut out from a newspaper, and it says stay basically says stay away from the moor. Um, so he's had a he's had a warning from someone. Mm. Um, but and from then, who? And that seems to me pertinent, you know. Like yeah. it seems to me like there's a lot of people peddling this. Stay away from the moor. Yeah. And and well, well, theory. Is it possible that in the middle of the moor there is the world's greatest theme park, and <laughs> having found it, nobody else wants anybody to know about it. Stay away mm. from the moor. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> It's awfully Must- fun, psych. <laughs> you can hear screams coming from it and the sound of a roller coaster, but don't oh, mind it's, that. The sounds of some sort of diabolical rumbling, constantly <laughs> running train, and the smell of candy floss. And it's awful. Don't go there. <laughs> um, now, in response to this, this Sir Henry saying, "I've, I've been given this." threatening letter Holmes uh, reads out uh, a bit of a free trade article in I think it's the Times or the Telegraph or something and 
and everyone's like, "What are you on about? Why is this? Why is this relevant?" And Holmes yeah. is like, "Aha! Read it again." And <laughs> it turns out all those words are part of the paragraph. So he's worked out that this is the newspaper that the ransom note was was used to write. Doesn't that strike you as a bit foolish? Like this is a really lazy note, isn't it? Like, because yeah. the whole point of cutting words out of a newspaper is sure to disguise your handwriting, but he doesn't even do that. He writes more in his own handwriting, which is because he couldn't find them all. Completely so, yeah, fucking pointless. <laughs> he should have gone and got sort of like Rambler's Quarterly or something, rather than the Times would have been sorted. But um, <laughs> but he's just cut them all out of a single newspaper, which means actually you know something about him instead of having it completely disguised. It's yeah. now like, ah, oh, I know this man to be an extraordinarily lazy times-reading man who can't be bothered <laughs> not to write things in his own handwriting. I know quite <laughs> a lot about him now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We have another brief chat about school measurements, which I'm not going to go into again. <laughs> it keeps popping up, this. I wonder if it's going to keep popping up throughout the book. It's, it's a theme. Keeps... It's a theme. It's going to turn out that the Hound of the Baskervilles is real and only acts the way it does because it has a particularly villainous uh, canker sore on the back of its head or something. <laughs> I love it as a subplot, just Dr. Mortimer continuously trying to get school measurements <laughs> of different people. <laughs> <laughs> That's another great setup, isn't it? You just have a really serious kind of reveal conversation, like, and it turns out that the hound was Dr. Mortimer. Please put your fucking calipers away. I am trying to do a dramatic reveal, and you are measuring my forehead. You've done it twice already. For fuck's sake, man, leave it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Dr. Mortimer is continuing, continuing to be relatively useless with that kind of stuff. Um, so... Holmes deduces that uh, this address was written in a hurry, probably at a hotel, because, mm. as you said, Dave, it's a little bit haphazard, a little bit lackluster, and he couldn't even be bothered to find a more. He just wrote it. Um, so it seemed, it gives the impression it was written in a hurry. Um, mm. So Henry's lost one of his boots at the hotel, and he's upset about that. And that might be completely irrelevant, or it might not, but it's worth just mentioning. Um if it was if yeah. this was Poirot, he would say, "Well, everything is irrelevant." Um, <laughs> but you know, um, they agree that there is some danger in some form, be it supernatural or not, uh, to Sir Henry if he returns to Baskerville Hall. But Sir Henry says, "You know, he's still going to go anyway." Is is a bit of a sort of a fearless, brash character, isn't he, Sir Henry? Yes, very much, very very much. And I think it's it's sort of. Um, we were led to expect this when he was introduced is this guy who's like gone off to, to is it America or Canada um, because of some trouble back home and he's a bit of a wild card isn't he this guy yes yeah he is I quite like this as well like just as a little snapshot of what was thought about the colonies yeah. back at the end of the sort of um, the sort of uh, Victorian era and it's clear that they had kind of the, the the approach of the whole of the United Kingdom towards people from the colonies back then is similar to the the approach of people who've never left London towards people from further north than Stevenage. You know, mm. they're kind of like, oh, those bluff talkers, those types, <laughs> those those people over there. Yes, 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 yes. All very earthy. Bluff, 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 bluff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and similarly, kind of. I don't, well, I, I don't know how true that was back then, but I, I do kind of love the presentation of this character as somebody who's in this very kind of genteel environment, taking no shit. Yeah, yeah. So, so they they tell Sir Henry and uh, and Doctor Mortimer to head out 
head back to the hotel and they're going to meet again at two. Mm. And now Holmes suspects that uh, that Sir Henry's being followed. So to sort of put this suspicion into practice, Holmes decides to follow him just to mm. see if he can follow the follower, if you like. And this is quite successful because they see not long after, you know, Sir Henry starts wandering down the street. They see this uh, cab, uh, so like uh, Hellstrong carriage uh, as oh. a taxi, following along, and there's this bearded man like looking out, watching Sir Henry. Uh, but this guy gets gets sight of Holmes and races away, and Holmes is a bit annoyed with himself for not sort of being a bit more cautious and careful. True. And Watson, <laughs> Watson's like, yeah, oh, and if only we got the number of the cab we could have checked out. And Holmes is like, you don't think I'd be stupid enough not to get the number of the cab, do you? It's like, oh. <laughs> Zing. Yeah, he may, be, he may have been spotted, but he's no rube. He's no rube. <laughs> you know what's funny? With the comparison between Holmes and Poirot, mm. um, Holmes is very condescending, but they kind of both are, aren't they? Yeah. But I kind of like Holmes a lot more because he, he shows his work and he explains as he goes, doesn't he? <laughs> Whereas Poirot just says, I know things. I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> At least I honestly g- gives his you know train of thought, doesn't he? <laughs> I honestly thought you were going to say, do you know why? Because he's English, not French. <laughs> Bam! Well, he's away. Belgian, isn't he, isn't he? Oh, he's Belgian. Yes, of course. Yes, sorry, sorry. Yes, of course. <laughs> and of course, of course, you would never be so thoughtlessly and stereotypically xenophobically English about things. Of course. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I agree to that extent. Although Holmes is in his interpersonal, like Poirot, at least has manners, even if he's kind of infuriatingly <laughs> oblique. Whereas Holmes explains things, but only so he can watch second by second as the true depth of his superiority over you becomes clear on your face you know I don't think he's doing it because he likes explaining things he's doing it because he likes being right yeah, he must have yeah. been a barrel of laughs to be at school with can you imagine <laughs> does anybody know the answer to this anyone other than Sherlock Any, go on then Sherlock go on um, so the final thing that happens in this chapter is uh, Holmes decides to he's got a bit of a sort of fairly unglamorous and uh sort of annoying task to do here tedious task to do here so he sends this 14 year old boy who is sort of i think from a previous book he's encountered and he's effectively like a what use when needed assistant now he sends this this teenager to go to every hotel in london and look for a cut-up newspaper and he's um, not. I, I he love must that be he's thrilled. Re- this lad. <laughs> yeah, we well, must be fucking thrilled. Do you see how much money he got given? He, yeah. Like Holmes basically broke a two pound note, which was about enough to pay for a family's food for a year, and then went, "Here's twenty shillings. Give ha- sixpence to this person and sixpence to this person and sixpence to." The- and I imagine that you'll find nothing as a result of giving this money to somebody, which is the same as saying to a certain kind of kid, "Here's some free money. Lie to me in two hours about whether or not you gave it all to other people." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking sort of, asking for it. My word. It's sort of like yeah, you don't want you, you've got to be de- you got to sort of be careful here that you don't put your trust in the kind of 14-year-old who would throw away his uh newspapers for his delivery round. Just stick them all in the bin. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it, isn't it? Just the kind of guys, yeah, I'll take the money. Yeah, thanks. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> 
No one got the newspapers. What, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I don't know why nobody got the news. That's I'm astounded. <laughs> okay, chapter five. Three broken, three broken threads. Um, they uh, Holmes and Watson arrive at the hotel uh, to an angry Sir Henry who has lost a second boot. Someone, someone's taking the piss here, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> it's his black boot this time. It was <laughs> Deary me. <laughs> um, Sir Henry says he's still going to Baskerville Hall um, after lambasting the uh, the staff of the hotel and saying yeah. you better find it soon. Um, he's the way he's hold, he says you better find my boot soon because otherwise I'm going to leave. But it looks like he's about to leave anyway because he's going to Baskerville Hall. So I'm not quite yeah. sure why everyone's so worried. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I suppose it's the reputation of the hotel at stake. Yeah. Um, it turns out that Bar- the butler, Barrymore, um, has got a beard because Holmes is trying to work out who this mysterious person in the cab could be. Mm. So they they send a telegram to Baskerville Hall to check if Barrymore is there at the moment. That's sort of the best the best way they can check that, um, considering the technology of the time. Yeah. It's quite interesting. You know, the, um, the, these days, you just, you know, a little bit of hacking, get on the phone to Google. Can you tell me where he is? Track his phone. Job yeah, done. exactly. Um, there's also... They start thinking about motives, and both the butler and his wife stood to gain from the will, from from Sir Henry. No, not Sir Henry, did from they? Sir Charles. They did. Did but they also, now? But also Dr. Mortimer stood to gain as well. And, of course, Sir Henry stood to gain because he was going to inherit the massive wealth. Yep. So, you know. Yeah, well, it's all gone very... Yeah, like, it's all gone kind of... It has all gone very Agatha Christie, hasn't it? Essentially, he was alone in a very, very, like, sur- like far from any kind of civilization, surrounded only by people who had a really good reason to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. We also get mention of this guy called James Desmond, who is the next in line should anything happen to Sir Henry. So uh, he'd be a guy that I would want to be just making sure I'm entirely comfortable with if I was Sir Henry uh, before heading up there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, now, Holmes is currently working on another case in London, so he has to stay in the capital. Uh, but he says he's a bit worried, so he's going to send Watson to look after Sir Henry up at Baskerville Hall. <laughs> now, do you buy this for a second that Holmes has some some job to do in London still? I love that he says it. He's like... Um, because he gives a great excuse, like the mother and father of all excuses. He's like, I'm sorry, I have to stay in London. I'm dealing with a, uh, a situation at the moment, and uh, without me, the Pope's life is in danger or something, doesn't he? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, that's, that is amazing. That's not just saying the dog ate your homework. That's saying aliens abducted you and stole it, isn't it? Yeah. I need to stay in town, not for something that you won't have heard about, but for something <laughs> which will definitely hit the newspapers if I fail. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's nothing if not sort of um, confident, is he, uh, Holmes? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he, there's there's no sort of if he is gonna if he is gonna come out with a fib. I, I think it is true, but if he is gonna come out with a fib, it's gonna be a big one. Um, mm. He doesn't do things by halves. That's very true. While they're having this uh, conversation, they, they they go back to his to Sir Henry's room and find the brown boot hidden underneath the wardrobe. 
and they 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 all kind of agree that they did check under there. So someone is. Yeah. It's not just like Sir Henry's kicked it off while drunk, fallen asleep, said he can't find it, and found it again. There's a genuine belief here that someone's stolen it and then replaced it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so they return that. Mm. And then uh, so, so 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 Henry's going to get ready to go to Baskerville Hall. And this is when Holmes and Watson receive two disappointing pieces of information. Uh, one, that the telegram returns saying, yes, Barrymore is in fact still at Baskerville Hall, so the butler hasn't left, apparently. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, <laughs> the uh, 14-year-old throw the newspapers away uh, <laughs> <laughs> assistant uh, says, oh, yeah, yeah, tried all the hotels no sign of any uh, any newspaper so thanks for the money see you later let me know if you want any more kind of help like this because it's quite it's quite a well paid job <laughs> so that's two threads down though that's two things they were hoping to get a lead from yeah. if they don't have yeah. um, so they move on to the next lead they've got which is this this cab 2704 which is the uh, the taxi that was driving this guy around, driving this suspicious character around. It's this yeah. guy called John Clayton turns up at Holmes's door, yeah. um, all all angry because he thinks uh, someone's making a complaint about his taxi, taxi driving. Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently, the the per- the mysterious person in this car gave his name as Detective Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Zing! <laughs> Holmes quite likes this. He's like, ah, an adversary worthy of me. It's like he's toying with me here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's fantastic, isn't it? He's like, you can almost see him, can't you? Hearing that and going, oh, you cheeky wench! Come on, then, let's do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it's another thread down, I suppose, because yeah. they can't work out who it is, but. Um, you know, you can tell now. I think this is the moment that Holmes gets completely invested in this. He yeah. thinks it's going to be a, a, a worthy challenge this now, doesn't he? To try and solve this semi-supernatural murder. Yeah. Um, he's also worried about Watson. He gives Watson a bit of sort of warning before before he heads off, mm-hmm. saying, you know, look after yourself up there. It, it, you know, yeah. I'm a bit worried about you. It's going to be quite dangerous. So I assume Watson's like, "Yeah, thanks very much." Yeah, could have cheers, mate. Because <laughs> <laughs> it isn't even like he's taken Watson to one side and said, "Look, I can't go up there. Would you mind going in my place for a bit?" He just basically announces it. We're like, "What?" Yeah, like, like, Doctor Watson what? will go. Doctor <laughs> Doctor Watson. By the way, is it true then that back in the in the Victorian era, being a doctor was basically sort of a hobby? Like, he, just, he doesn't seem to have a job, does he? <laughs> Dr. Watson, why are you not taking any patients? Well, I yeah. had, I, quite frankly, I had to stand in an extremely messy drawing room and be condescended to and insulted for several hours before being sent with no word of my own uh, to a potentially supernaturally fatal environment far, far away. <laughs> I know, well, I, I don't it, understand either. I find it interesting that pretty much every character that has a speaking part here, with the exception of Sherlock Holmes, is either a doctor or is knighted. 
it, it is a bit, isn't it? It's very. It, it's an end of a Victorian British novel, if ever there was one. My word. And did you notice as well that the guy, the cabbie, turns up all ready to have a fight about it, and then when Holmes slips him a quid, and he's like, "Go on then, Governor. I'm in Mary Poppins now. How can I help you?" It's just like it's as if his entire dignity is for sale for a pound. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so that's uh, yeah. But I mean, you kind of accept that as the um, the world that uh, that has been created here, I suppose. Um, well, you may, Matt. You, but I'm outraged on his behalf because I, <laughs> I am a lefty. <laughs> it's kind of like in the same, you know, the same way we just sort of we're just passing over this skull measurement stuff. <laughs> oh, there are certain anachronisms that uh that uh yeah. Sort of, yeah, you're not kidding. There. Yes, yeah. there are. Yeah. But yeah, so um, it's a good place to end here because we've got this sort of rather ominous note of Watson and Sir Henry going into this dangerous place, and uh, who knows what will happen next. Yeah. No, you you've read all of this, haven't you? Before, uh, I haven't. No, no. Oh, excellent. Okay. No, well, this is another do- one that I suggested without having read it because I've read almost nothing. So I, I quite like that whenever I suggest something, you're like, oh, you've read this before, haven't you? No, 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 no. I'll only read it if I've got a good enough reason to do it. And, you know, the, the shark is a good enough reason. So have you have you seen the TV version of this story? Yes, yeah. Oh, okay, so you, so you kind of know what happens. Generally. Well, I know what happened in the TV, but they do a lot of adapting in the TV one. I mean, the, the, the outcome of the TV one involved a science lab and some sort of secret government experiment, so... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm fairly certain that's not going to be what it is. Yeah. Um, but um, no, I. You know what? Actually, I think I read this when I was very young, and I've forgotten what the ending is. Mm. I think I read this when I was a kid, um, and mm. I remember being very freaked out by it. But I still, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doc. Well, um, is it worth us doing a prediction then? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, at this point. I sort of want it to be Dr. Mortimer, if only because he's the sort of bloke that reckons you can look at the overhang of somebody's forehead and decide exactly what kind of murdering psychopath they are. You know, and the, the, the flaw in that scientific method is that they never measure their own heads and go, good heavens, I'm, 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 I'm a condescending sued. I've, I've the, the exact cranial measurements of a total nonce. What's the matter with me? <laughs> Yeah, I'm kind of suspicious of Mortimer because he um, he says, like, the day before Sir Henry arrives, or just before Sir Henry arrives, maybe we should warn him not to go to Basketball Hall. And then, sure enough, the following day, he's had a letter from yeah. some hotel room saying, don't yeah. go to Basketball Hall. It just seems yeah. a little convenient. And also, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. I'm immediately suspicious of anyone who has taken such a close interest in school measurements. <laughs> Yes, Uh, but yeah. uh, Other than that, I mean, there's a butler as well, and as as we know, butlers are always extremely dodgy in these stories. Um, I haven't seen any evidence of him being sort of sweaty or perverse just yet, as the Agatha Christie butler was. But um, (laughs) we'll see. I'm looking forward to meeting him, Mm. just to get a a bead on that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, For next week. If you're reading along with us, we're going to go as far as chapter 12, Death on the Moor. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. got to stop doing that, haven't I? I can't just... Every single line in this makes me want to do bad, spooky owl impressions. 
And uh, of course, if you've any uh, feedback on the book, any predictions of your own about the future, or what's going to happen in the hand of the Baskervilles, whether it was a really a hound or not, whether it was a bloody murder or not. Whether it was just <laughs> some guy enjoying tiptoeing around too much and having a heart attack, <laughs> <laughs> then do do get in touch and let us know. You can get us at sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Right. Until next time. Till next time, Matt.